Tonight we want to continue in our study of the ABCs of prayer. And uh, tonight, looking at the condition of prayer. So we're up to letter C. We already looked at Abraham, the argument of prayer. Moses, the benefits of prayer. And tonight, we're going to look at Joshua, how he de demonstrated the condition of prayer. Most often, Joshua is not thought of so much as a man of prayer, but he's uh, thought of as a man of action. Uh, it's a wonderful study, Joshua, and even the events that led up to uh, his taking the lead of uh, the children of Israel into the promised land. Uh, that's a wonderful study, and, and uh, we don't have time to go into all that tonight, but he was a man of action. Uh, he was not necessarily pictured as a kneeling saint, but he was an alert and well-armed warrior. Uh, he was a soldier, a governor, with a firm hand and had strong leadership. So we don't see Joshua, uh, in Joshua, the mistrust of himself. Remember we talked about Moses and he, he was a little bit doubtful about his abilities to lead. And uh, when he uh, was told that he was going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, he said, well, who am I? How can I do this? Well, Joshua is a little bit more courageous. Uh, he has more firmness and energy and leadership and strength about his character. So let's first talk about the character of Joshua. Uh, this uh, portrait of Joshua is not wrong, but it's not complete either when we talk about him uh, in the various areas in which he is known for. I want you to notice three occasions that give us a more complete picture of the man Joshua. First of all, Joshua and the tabernacle. Uh, in Exodus chapter 24, uh, and verse 13, Exodus 24, and verse 13. If we can look at that first, it says there that uh, Moses rose up and his minister, Joshua, and Moses went up into the mount of God. And uh, you find here that uh, the word minister, he was a servant there of, of Moses, and uh, he was going to be used of God, in and this would kind of set the stage for him to be used of God. And then in chapter 33, in verse 11, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend, and he turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And so I think we can assume that Moses knew the spiritual quality and the personal holiness of a young man by the name of Joshua when he chose him to be his minister or his servant. That's what the word minister has to do with, in this sense, uh, a servant at a very important time. So uh, Joshua and the tar tabernacle. And then you remember Joshua and the spies. In Numbers 13, we have the account of, of the uh, 12 spies that go in. And uh, 
we recall that Joshua shared with Caleb the difficult task of seeking to persuade the people that though as the other ten spies had said the cities of Canaan were walled to the skies, I think that was kind of an, an exaggeration. Oh yeah, they were tall, but you know, clear to the skies. And the people of the land were like giants. Well, yeah, they were probably bigger than the Israelites. You know, uh, this depends on who you're standing next to. You know, if we, one of us stands next to Josh, well, he's a giant. He's not here tonight, can't, can't defend himself. But, uh, uh, and I have a grandson who's 6'6", you know. I have to look up and say, how are you doing up there today? He feels, you know, uh, he's not real hefty, but uh, he's tall. Well, again, as a uh, sense of perspective, and these ten spies certainly didn't have a, uh, the courage and uh, willingness to do what the Lord had told them to do. He said, uh, for the Lord, of course, uh, Israel uh, could advance because Joshua and Caleb said, for the Lord is with us. Don't fear them. Fear them not. And in this argument with people's unbelief, Joshua seems to take leadership and he is remembered for his courageous faith. So Joshua and the spies. And then you have Joshua and the captain of the host. And this is in Joshua 5 and verse 13 through 15. Where it says that, And it came to pass when Joshua was in Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there was a, stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but this, as the captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy, and Joshua did so. Now, Joshua is faced with the task of capturing Jericho, and as he is contemplating this, he finds a man with a drawn sword in his hand, apparently standing in his way. And so you find this challenge here. Uh, he doesn't turn and run. Uh, he says, are you for us or against us? You are for us or for our adversaries? I mean, he stands up to him. Well, the answer comes back, nay, but the captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? Well, who apart from Joshua himself would dare to claim to be the captain of the Lord's host? Of course, it was the Lord himself. The Lord himself. And then it tells us that Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, God was telling him, This is not a time to pray. This is a time to act. 
not to pray. You know, sometimes we're, we shouldn't pray. We should act. We should go. There's some things you just don't have to pray about. When God makes it very clear to you that uh, what you're to do, well, let me pray about that. Because prayer is never a substitute for doing what God commands. If God gives us a command in his word, well, let me pray about that. When it's time to go to church, it's not a time to pray about it. Uh, when it's time to read your Bible, well, let me pray about that. No, God's told us to be in church. He's told us to read the Bible. When it's time to do right, it's not a time to pray about it. It's time to act. And when Israel's sin remains unconfessed and condemned, it's useless for Joshua to plead with God for victory. And so it is in our lives. When we fail to simply confess, that is, identify and agree with God that something is a sin in our lives, it doesn't do any good to pray anything but the prayer of confession. That's the only time that we need to be praying. If there's sin in our life, uh, it's not uh, a time to just, you know, beat your chest and, and do all kinds of things that, and, and spend hour after hour in prayer. No, it's simply go to God and confess that sin. That means agree with God. It's a sin. And then you can move on. So here again we see that this is Joshua's contribution to teaching us about prayer. The condition of successful, powerful, continued prayer is obedience. If we harbor evil, we tolerate sin, and that rises up before us as we kneel to pray, heaven will seem far, far off and prayer will be hard and no earnestness of speech, no hours of wrestling with God, no multiplication of words will help us in any way unless to be make that sin more plain to us and a conscience more sensitive. Psalm 66, 18 uh, says, I, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I don't think it could be any clearer than that. If there's sin, you can pray all night in prayer. But if you haven't dealt with the sin, then it's not going to do any good. Proverbs 1, 28 to 30. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would none of my counsel, they despised all my reproof. Proverbs 28, 9. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. Isaiah 1 and verse 15. And when ye spread forth your hands... I will hide my eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. 
Isaiah 59 verse 2, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. Micah 3 and verse 4, Then shall they cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time, as they have behaved themselves ill in their doings. And then in Zechariah chapter 7, Zechariah rehearses the persistent refusals of Israel to hearken unto the law of God concerning care for the fatherless, the widows, the stranger, the poor, stopping their ears, making their hearts like stone, lest they should hear the law. And he gives a fitting penalty. Therefore, he says, it has come to pass that he cried and they would not hear, and so they cried, and I will not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. You see, I think the Old Testament scriptures is very clear about this teaching. If we have sin in our hearts, our prayers are useless. And then it goes on to say, if we ignore the needs of others, when they cry for help, God will ignore our cries for help. That's serious business. God will hear our cries for forgiveness and even when we make such a prayer and yet do nothing about the sin, we say, Lord, forgive me, I've, I've sinned. But then we don't do anything about it. We go back and turn around and do the same thing again. We allow the sin to continue. We don't confess and forsake. Now that's a teaching of the New Testament as well when it tells us that prayer of the sinner for forgiveness, for deliverance from his sin is heard once and with mercy. Interesting, it's the blind man cured by Jesus in Jerusalem who says it best when he confesses his inability to argue theology with the learned scribes. He's very clear in his mind about one thing, and at one point he says, one thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Later on he also points out, now we know that God heareth not sinners. Well, we go back to Joshua and his meeting the captain of the Lord's host. This is kind of, you would say, Joshua's burning bush experience. Only God didn't come to him in a burning bush in the wilderness as he did to Moses. He came as an armed warrior angel prepared for battle. And God fits his comings to man and the moment's need, and Joshua answers in an appropriate way. He says, what saith my Lord unto his servant? In other words, yes, sir, what are my orders? What are my orders? Now, you see, these three occasions, along with the portrait of a soldier, you realize the balance was, uh, balance was the character of Joshua. You combine his strength and his courage with his faith and his consecration, his holiness with action. What we learn from Joshua about prayer, we learn that the unmistakable condition of prayer is obedience. Notice, secondly, the command of Joshua. Now, we learn further the significance of this lesson in the account of the sin of Achan. And then the defeat of Ai and the stealing of the accursed thing at Jericho. 
and to understand what seems to be a very harsh act of rough, indiscriminate justice, we must remember the exact circumstances of that time. Uh, these were days long before Jeremiah had taught Israel the spiritual value of the individual. In that day, the family and the tribe were the units of society. And this was when one man's sin was the sin of the whole group of people of Israel. One man's judgment involved himself, his wife, his children, and his whole household. And also there is significance of the fall of Jericho and the reason why the city and all within were destroyed. Again, that's a demonstration of God's power. Israel had to learn once and for all that when they entered Canaan, not by their strength and not by their might or by their own good, but by the hand of God and for his purposes. Now, previous generation had learned the same thing at the Red Sea and at Mount Sinai. Now, this generation must learn to be humble and disciplined people. And here they won a great battle without striking a single blow, and the spoils belonged to God. They were ordered to take nothing. They were to take no one. This is not just Joshua's orders. This was right from God. So you go over to Joshua chapter 7, and you look at verse 6, and you see there Joshua's uh, way of, 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 of coming to terms with this. He said, And Joshua rent his clothes, and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until eventide, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. Now, after the... Israelites had de were defeated at Ai. Joshua realizes something is drastically wrong. He goes to God in a very humble, heart-searching prayer. And that humility is seen there by the dust that's thrown upon their heads. It's humility before God. It's not coming boastfully, saying, God, you know, we're doing what you're supposed, we're supposed to be doing. No. He's coming very humbly before God. And he begins to be concerned about the consequence of this defeat, not only for his people, but for the purpose of God. And so he pleads with God. See, he, we're seeing him as a man of prayer. And so that brings us to the, uh, the uh, conquest of Joshua. We see this in verse 10. Move on there, it says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Now you probably won't find in all of Scripture an answer up to prayer that's more abrupt, more searching, or more stern than the one that came to Joshua. The soldier is answered in really, really military fashion. Get thee up. Now, I don't know, anybody serve in the military? Uh, here, you, you, and, and if you had, you know, you were 
rudely awaken in the morning. <laughs> I understand that. I wasn't there, so don't I'm, don't take my word for it. It's just I understand that's the way it is, or it has been. Don't know if it's that way now, but you know. Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou upon thy face? Israel has sinned. James, in his letter, emphasizes this truth. He said, Ye ask that you may consume it upon your lusts, in James 4.3. One reason that God does not answer prayer is because the sinful heart cannot ask the right way. Another is because a sinful heart cannot be trusted with the answer. You know, if you're not getting the answer from God that uh, you think you should be getting, maybe it's because God is not trusting you. Maybe because there's some sin in your, in your life. It's not safe for God to grant what sinning hearts request and what disobedience uh, uh, soon finds fruitless to ask. Uh, in a way, prayer becomes an indication of spiritual health and the guardian of the conscience. When there's sin tolerated and persisted in and defended and regarded, as the psalmist said, as Isaiah said, in the heart and even with delight, that makes prayer useless, of no avail. And it causes the habit of prayer to wither and to die and the desire of prayer to be destroyed. The New Testament is clear as the Old Testament that the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The fervent prayer. Now don't stop there. Remember it says of the righteous man. Man who's right with God. And in John 15 in verse 7. It says, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. And so the conquest of Joshua was found in getting off his knees, setting himself to action. It was not a time to pray, it was a time to act, and to act in obedience to God's commands. Israel had sinned. And that had to be remedied before answers to prayer could be expected. And then one last thing, and that is the conscience of Joshua. As I mentioned a moment ago, prayer is the guardian of conscience. Achan's sin was withholding what once had been promised to God, and the result was total defeat. I think that's significant. But it's not only actual sin, but the evading of the duty, the shirking of the task, which comes before us in the hour of prayer. In Joshua's case, it was not even a duty evaded, but one unrealized, unknown, that was laid upon his heart with urgency. But whether it was allowing some sin or doing something right or realizing what we must do, the responsibility is ours and it awaits attention and obedience. We must act if prayer is to continue. Now, we realize that sometimes the prayer must wait. Even the given command, until the given command has been fulfilled. In Matthew, 
chapter 5 and verse 23, it says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Sometimes the prayer must wait until we've fulfilled the commandment. I think this is another reminder of, to us of the principle that God was teaching and is teaching us through Joshua when he told him, get thee up. Don't be here uh, uh, praying or, you know, he was humbly coming before God. He said, get thee up. Take care of business. Some would scoff at prayer and say it's just an escape from difficult duty, but that's not what the Scripture teaches us. Many times the prayer that God will grant becomes itself the command, go and do. For example, we pray for someone's salvation. And while we pray we become very aware that we ourselves perhaps should be the one who's witnessing to that person. Now we can, we can all be praying for, and we should pray for the salvation of family or friends or co-workers, someone, but sometimes we need to come to realize that maybe I'm the one that's supposed to be witnessing to them. A prayer for soul salvation. Uh, there's a prayer for reconciliation with some offended brother. And again, we're reminded that we are we never have never sought to make things right with them. We need to do that first before we pray. We pray the Lord of the harvest would send forth labors into the harvest fields, and the request kind of lays upon ourselves, and perhaps we are the one that God wants to be the laborer. Why should we ask only to, that God send somebody else? Many people, because they prayed, found themselves across the ocean in various places around the world. Many a work has been initiated because an hour of prayer, conscience, awoke to unrealized obligations and challenging the duty. So the condition of prayer is obedience. And that's what Joshua, the courageous soldier, teaches us about prayer. He who forgets it will either be soon reminded or they will not pray. The condition of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for your word once again tonight. And may it strike home to our needs, help us to realize that when we come before you, we need to have our hearts right, sin confessed. We know that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's very clear.